Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by Floor and Decor. Largest selection of hard surface flooring and lowest prices guaranteed. Dan, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Yes, sir. Got a question on how to, uh, the best way to shorten a door. I had my floor leveled and when they raised the floor, I've got two doors that won't shut anymore. <laughs> ah, so are they hitting on carpet or or, or it's what? Uh, uh, tile. Okay. You, on the bottom of doors and on the top of doors, there's actually a wood strip, and you know it's all there f- for cutting. Most doors, interior doors, are hollow core, uh, except for like the bottom three inches and top three inches. So basically, you're going to take it off. And, and are, I'm assuming these are wood doors. Are they painted or are they stained? They're, sol- they're solid wood doors. Oh, solid wood doors. Oh, yes, sir. This will, this will be better. Okay, take it off. Now, th- this part is, is uh, something to help you out. Get a straight line on there. Put a piece okay. of tape across there. Okay. On that straight line. Uh, take a box cutter and just score along that edge. You can use a... Uh, you know, a four-foot level or any type of metal-type straight edge along there to score a straight line and then cut to the bottom side of that straight line with a skill saw. What the tape and the scoring do is keep that wood from splintering up the door. Oh, okay. Now, what kind of blade on my skill saw? I need a real fine tooth? I, I, I personally prefer using a fine tooth on, on doors like that, yeah. Okay. All right, sir. And well, don't I... push too hard. Take it just take it slow going through. Okay. All right. Well, now one it. one side note on this. Typically a carbide tip is better. And the reason for that, you will find little nails in the door to hold the wood pieces together sometimes. Okay. And the carbide tip will go through that where if you use just a regular blade, uh it it, it goes through it still, but it just doesn't do as nice a job. Oh, okay. Well, my my floor people did a did a good job of getting it level, but uh, the, the doors don't work now. And uh, I think yeah, yeah, I believe that I believe you heard of these these people uh, someplace called Due West. Ah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I've met them a time or two. <laughs> great, great people. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Well, thank you for the information. You bet. Take care, Dan. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Okay, this was an email question that came in. Uh, yesterday and it's about gutters so it's from joe jim i don't have gutters on my house except in front i see in the back where the trees especially shade the lawn the lawn next to the house is receding i wonder that this is because the rain washed directly off the roof onto the soil is this correct and is this a problem what exactly do gutters do besides give you one more thing to clean? Great question. First of all, you mentioned you got trees in the back. The soil is receding. No, that's not being caused. That's not being caused by a lack of gutters. If if it was from gutters, you would actually have washout, uh, not receding soil. Typically, what's causing the receding soil is the trees are taking moisture out of soil. When the soil dries out, it shrinks, and it looks like it's receding away from the foundation. That's the reason during droughts, even if you don't have a tree around, 
your your home, you'll see the soil recede from the foundation. And a lot of times people want to go dump sand in there and stuff like that. Don't do that. Just start doing some watering. The soil will re-expand and close up that receding line that you're seeing. If it's being caused by trees, I mean, we've been having rain this year. So if it's being caused by trees like this, you really need to be considering some root barriers because that severs the roots, keeps them from growing back to the house, which allows the moisture to hydrate near the house and closes up that gap. And what you're going to see when you put in a root barrier, go back and look at, at a root barrier that's in for a year or two. The house side will typically be anywhere from one to two inches higher than the tree side of the root barrier. It actually will form a little step in the yard. And and that can be dealt with by just putting a little topsoil down and, you know, making it where it's not just a, a step there. But it is something that truly does happen. And what exactly do gutters do besides give you one more thing to clean? Well, if you have a patio, driveways, or washout from the water coming off a roof, that's the place to put a gutter. It's there to help you out. But in the rest of the areas, you are 100% right. It's a maintenance pain in the butt. And it really isn't doing you any good. If you got wooden soffit boards, and, or uh, fascia boards rather, it, it eventually will start rotting them because moisture gets behind the gutter. A lot of people don't realize, but most gutters, the back side of the gutter is lower than the front side. So when a gutter does start filling up with leaves or something like that where it gets plugged and the water starts building up in it, it's going over the back, getting on the fascia boards and rotting them out. I recommend gutters, like I said, driveways, patios, doorways, things like that, or if it's someplace where the water is washing things out, that's the ideal location for gutters. Other than that, leave them off. Now this person had a secondary question. I have a breaker and only one on my panel that tends to throw when the power fails and only then. Other than this one, I don't recall a breaker ever tripping in my house. Why would a breaker trip when the power fails? Does this need to be fixed? Thanks for your suggestions. Well, what can be happening is when the power uh, fails and it's trying to come back on, that surge is hitting something that's on that circuit and popping it, which popping it means it's tripping the breaker. So what what would I do? First thing I do is have that breaker checked. And if it was mine, I would probably just plain replace it. Secondary thing, if it happens still when you have a new uh, breaker put in, you need to find where the short is because there probably is a short, whether it's in an appliance or something, or in the wiring at one of the outlets where when there is a surge of power, when the power comes back on, it trips that breaker. And more than likely, that is going to be the cause of it. Uh, the only reason I typically start with the breaker, it's the easier fix than trying to trace down where the short is. Uh, so is it a problem? Yes. Does it need to be dealt with? Yes. You may want to just go ahead and call an electrician to come out and address the problem so you don't have to worry about it any further. Scott. Welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Uh, yes, sir. How are you today? I'm doing wonderful. How about you? I'm hanging in there. I uh, My question is, 
I had custom cabinets put in about 15 years ago, and they stained it. And they they have no idea that you know what color they use. They kind of mix it and make it match to fit the house. And the stains getting horrible, especially in the bathroom with all the moisture. Right. So I don't know if it's better or easier or quicker or whatever to uh, if you, to sand them all down and you know then you have to try to pick something as far as a stain that's darker than what it was, or if you can just sand it down and paint everything over the stain. I don't know what would be the best solution to make it look good again. Sure. Well, if if you sand it all the way down back to wood, you actually don't have to pick a darker stain. You can, you know, if you get back down to bare wood, you can pick whatever stain you want and put on it. But doesn't doesn't the stain, like, sink into the wood to where it, it had to come down, I mean, a whole lot to... Well, not always. Real wood? Yeah, not always. It, it's going to depend on how they stained it. Uh, so once you sand it, you can make that determination. You know, if it if you sand it down and you got nice fresh wood, which a lot of times does happen, you won't need to, to worry about the stain color. Now, I will tell you it is a real pain to sand one down enough to, to restain it and, and all that. A lot of times... Right. If you want to just paint it, a lot of times all you got to do is sand any rough areas and then put a product on it called like Peso, which is a deglosser, and you're ready to go ahead and paint it. Okay. You don't, you don't so, have to sand it all the way down. Yeah, because you can't get the whole cabinets outside, and if you're going nope. to try to sand and all the dust and all, it'll just yeah. have a big old headache. So it is. I thought it might be easier, especially in the bathroom, you know. Yeah, well, and and typically when you're when you're trying to strip them, you're not sanding everything off, anyways. You're usually what you're going to use is a chemical stripper, and then only sand the areas that are left that need the sanding. Right. And 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 it just becomes okay. a, a nightmare. So, uh, truly, if you if you're not opposed to painting, that's going to be much easier. Like I said, if you've got any areas that are rough, you know where where maybe when they did it, they had a run or something like that. That would be the time to sand that area down, then coat the whole thing with a deglosser. Peso is is the brand I've used for years and years. Peso? Yeah, P-A-S-S-O. Okay. And then uh, after that, you're ready to prime it and paint it. Use an oil base on it. Yeah, that's my question. What are you, oil, oil base or water? And, and I'm going to tell you, a, a lot of the paints have gone to these accolades where uh, they're saying, oh, it, it's as good as oil base, and you don't need to use oil base on it. Honestly, I've tried them a few times, and I'm sticking with oil base right now. It, ju- it just isn't giving me that same hard shell finish that I, that I want when I'm doing woodwork that way. Then what's the best paint? like the paint brush or something to do it because i don't i don't guess you can just spray it inside your house you can you'd have to anything. you'd have to uh, cover everything up well with plastic you know seal up the area and you actually right. could spray it uh, but if you get a good brush that's made for oil-based paint you can brush it on just as well okay thank you so much i really appreciate it scott you have a great weekend
You too. Uh, by the way, you won't you won't do this project in one weekend. <laughs> Probably not. I've I've lived in this, I've lived in my house my whole life for forty six years, and uh, I just have oncoming projects uh, day in and day out. So, yep. <laughs> it's, Welcome it's, to the uh, joys of live. home ownership. Well, you sound like my father. He he <laughs> says, "How's it be? How's it feel to be a proud homeowner?" There's always going to be a problem. Yep. <laughs> so, Take care. So thank you so much. You have a great day. Hello, Sandy. I have a question regarding, I'm looking at uh, homeowners insurance change in policy and trying to determine how much dwelling coverage we should have on our home for like rebuild costs in case a tornado blew it away or fire burned it up. How would you go about doing that? You know, that is a great question and, and one that a lot of times people don't realize the ramifications of getting it right. Um, as far as how they do it, they typically do it by the square foot and what you have in the home. And most of the time an insurance company will work with you as far as how they classify it by square footage. Um, you are normally going to be looking at, if you're getting ready to build a home, you, do you have granite countertops? Uh, yes. What do you have for floors? We have tiles. Uh, any tile wood floors? Throughout. Well, no, no wood. We have tile and carpet. Okay. Mostly tile. Car- uh, bedrooms uh, have carpet, and that's it. And you got standard eight foot ceilings or ten foot? Either uh, ten foot. Okay. Uh, how old a home is it? It is thirty years old. Okay. They are probably going to price it somewhere in the hundred and five to one hundred and twenty dollars per square foot. Okay. Now, here's why I say people need to be real careful, though, how they put these numbers. If something happens to your home, you have now set the cost of the home. And so the insurance company is limited how much they have to pay out. Even, you know, if the house burns to the ground, you have already predetermined how much that house is worth. So if you go low on your number... And I'm going to use easy numbers for me. Mm-hmm. Say you value the house at $100,000, but when it comes time to rebuild it, it's actually $150,000. You, you, you set the value at one hundred. That's all you're going to get. Right. That also cool. holds true if you got a contractor out there working on it and something catastrophic happens mm-hmm. and the house burns down. You cannot go after the contractor for more than what you valued the house at, at yourself as well in Texas. Oh, wow. So you want to make sure that you get it all the way up there with what the true value of rebuilding it is. And and keep in mind, it's not just the cost of building the home because you got to take the old one down first. Right. I understand there's a lot of fees involved, even a rental of porta potties yep. while they're Everything. rebuilding. Everything goes yeah. into it. So really, okay. typically figure out what, what uh, and that's the reason insurance companies normally come in so much higher on what they value the property at. And mm-hmm. you really want to make sure that you're staying on the high end so that you are properly covered. Because the cost difference yeah. between, you know, a, a low end and a high end is usually incidental. Oh, okay. So it's better to go with the higher Okay. Uh, here's another question, too. Like when I go online and Google my address, it yeah. says a square footage. 
what is the best place to find the accurate square footage? When I look online, it's 1905. When I look at my appraisal that uh-huh. was on the home when we bought it, it's 1937. How do you know what's right? Is there a... The, there, the only way you're going to know for sure what it is is if you measure it yourself. But to tell you the okay. truth, the difference between 1905 and 1937, no, that, yeah. that is that is no difference. I mean, that, that can be okay. because of the thickness of the walls. Okay. All right. I'm getting a lot of ranges on my um, insurance quotes, so it's like, okay, just I wasn't sure. I, I think I would rather have more. And if, I wonder if a insurance company is set on how much they will give you for a square footage. You know, if they say, well, they're going to pay 112, you can't go up, or do, are they flexible, do you know? No, they, they're, they're going to give you options on it, so they are flexible. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. I appreciate your help. You bet, Sandy. Take care. Insurance is one of the most critical things you can get on your home because, like I said, it determines what you get, whether it's your fault, their fault, or somebody else's fault. You predetermine the value of your home. We'll be back with more Texas Home Improvement. Daniel, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Thank you, sir. I've got a question about I'm wanting to reface my fireplace in my living room. Just not sure what what how difficult that is or how complicated that is or what I need to what I need to know to do that. Well, what do you want to face it with? Uh, it's gray brick, the same thing that the outside of the house is uh, bricked with. I want to uh-huh. go back with a rock. Okay. You know, there's a lot of choices on the rock because they, they make uh, rock panels that you can adhere to the brick. Uh, they make some spray-on stuff that goes on and gets hand-carved, which that is not a do-it-yourself project. You would have to hire somebody to come no, in and do I'm, that. No, I'm going to hire it out for sure. Okay. Uh, well, if you're going to hire it out for sure, uh, in my own house, I used the limestone spray-on type rock, and we actually sprayed it on, carved it, colored it, and all that stuff. And I've had it in my house for about eight years, yeah, maybe more like ten now. But uh, either way, it, it looks like a limestone. Very nice. I love it. Uh, however, spraying a product like that in your house does create a lot of dust while it's being done. Right. You, as far as putting on the ready-made bricks that you would use mortar to put onto the uh, existing brick, it would create less dust. It's still going to create some. It's going to create less, um, and it it gives you more real rock, but it's not going to be the limestone. It's usually going to be more of a hard-type-looking rock, more like a granite or something like that. But you do have a lot of choices. Um, Normally, What What about the brick on there? Should that brick come off? I'm just thinking about the weight. Oh no! Don't don't worry about the weight at all. Uh, everybody always worries about weight on on the foundation, uh, like pulling a car in a garage or something like that. That foundation doesn't even know the car's there. And same the, with your the, fireplace; it won't be an issue. The spray on you're talking about how much more room? Because I don't I don't want it to stick out too much further. How much? Well, if if that's what you're worried about, that spray-on would be the way to go because it's only going to come out like three-quarters of an inch or so. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. Now, 
they can do the hearth and everything with that then the the mantle on it is brick it's gr- the gray brick turned on in sticking out i don't like that i, I would i think that would have to be taken out of there and well you need to take problem? it out or they can spray over it and carve something on it for the mantle okay do you have somebody that you recommend for that um in the in that would come to the sweeney area yeah, that that's what I'm not sure of if they'll come down to that area. Uh, hang on, let me see if I've got something here because I was just you, you can tr- you can try them. I don't know if they can do if they'll come that far. Create is uh their number. It's C R E the number eight dot build create build uh and i'm assuming it's dot com on that but uh their company you could call now one of their franchises is at 972-237-9616 okay all and, right well, uh, i appreciate that i just didn't know if i needed to take the brick out or if that was gonna have to come out or if you could do something over either way i'm I'm good with it. So yeah, well, this product is this is the product that I used on my home, and uh, like I said, it it did very well. Okay, well, I sure appreciate your time. You bet. Take care. All right. Yes, sir. Thank you. Ted, welcome to KTRH. Hey, Jim. Uh, uh, I appreciate you taking my question. I've got a house that I built uh, in 2011, and. On the corners of the back of the house, the slab is cracking on, on the corners. Right. And it comes in uh, from the, it's about 12 inches from the brick line, and it goes outward down to the slab. Now, the brick's not cracked, just the corners of the slab. Is this something I should really worry about? No. Um, okay. What What causes that is when they pour the concrete, the corner's exposed on two sides, and the reinforcing doesn't go all the way out to the corners. It you know it curves around. If you would take that piece off, you're going to see that it really only reaches in about three inches into the concrete itself. Even though it, it's six, eight, twelve inches up into the concrete, it it kind of shears off at an angle. And you you can epoxy it back into place if you'd like, but it's not a structural issue. It's not going to cause you any problems at all. Okay, but the crack does uh, shrink, and then it, uh, you know, once if it's dry, it it'll it'll open up. But yep. Once it's moisture around it, or it's rained, or I've watered, it'll close back up. So that's pretty normal. Huh? Well, let me let me make sure. Then we're still talking about the same thing. This is on the corner of the concrete itself. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Then yes, it's it's nothing I would get overly concerned about. Okay. I'm the reason the reason it's moving when it rains. It's, it goes down into the dirt, and when the when the soil dries out, it shrinks a little bit, so it allows it to open. When the soils get moist, it'll put pressure on it and push it back in again. Okay. Well, I appreciate your help. I you bet. Your- Let's see here. This one is from Larry. I've had estimates from many home improvement contractors for various projects and virtually all wanted money in advance. Though I intend to buy all materials up front myself, for most projects. I'm skeptical of giving money up front to any contractor whom I don't know 
given the many scams today, what is your opinion? Well, my opinion is you're probably finding it hard to find a good contractor who's wanting to deal with this because most contractors don't want the homeowner going to get the material. And most homeowners think, oh, well, the contractor doesn't want me doing that because I can get it so much cheaper. No, it's because you're not going to have it there when they're ready to use it. They're having to wait on the homeowner to go pick things up. And in some cases, the homeowners get cheaper materials that the contractor doesn't want to use. When you're coming in to get a project done, you want to get the materials up front, have it ready, and set to go. Now, if you are dealing with a contractor who's agreeing to do just the labor and you're providing all the materials, I don't see a reason for there to be upfront money. They really don't have any money coming until they're on job site working. Uh, in fact, a lot of contractors, even if it is a remodeling, don't get that much upfront when they get started. Now, I will tell you, I myself, with uh, my foundation repair work, don't get a nickel up front. But the day I show up to start the job, because I'm on site with material, I got labor out there, I got guys working on the job, I collect the first half, we get the other half upon completion. And so it, it's going to depend on the contractors that you're hiring and, and what you're going to have them doing. But again, if you are finding contractors who are allowing you to go buy the materials and all they're providing is labor, I'm agreeing with you. It sounds a little shaky to be requiring money up front. Now, you burn them, though, and by that I mean you schedule for them to be there Monday morning and they show up and you're not there. That is just wrong in so many ways to the contractor because they've got guys on the clock out there ready to work and now you're sending them home so that may be one reason they would be asking for something up front just to make sure that they don't get burnt that way but other than that I don't see a reason for it but again I think you'll have trouble finding good contractors who will do business that way because they want to make sure that they're in control of having everything ready and keeping the job moving forward on a timely basis. Rod, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Yes, thank you for taking my call. I have a house I'm working on and I have to replace some soffits. Yeah. And from listening to your program, I should probably put a fine screen across those soffits and I have to replace the roof too. I mean the shingles. I'm going to do it with a, a tin roof. If I take the top of that and cut back the plywood about two inches on each side, and then run my tent up to it and cover it with a ridge cap, would that be a soffit vent? Yep. You, you just make sure that on the top you've got a, a spot for the air to escape out. And, you know, continuous soft vents are typically the best way to go. Uh, I usually use James Hardy siding uh, because they've got a continuous soffit vent that's got holes in it that's already mm -hmm. ready to go. What's the name of it? James Hardy siding. Yep, James Hardy siding already has holes. Yep. Okay. Yep, and uh, then you're you're 100 correct. About two inches on each side on the ridge, and then you just put a ridge cap over it, and you're done. Okay. Now you mentioned before how many square feet of vent to how many square feet of house. 
for every 150 square foot of attic space, you want to have one square foot of ventilation. 150 to one. Yep. Got it. Thank you very much. You bet, Rod. You take care. And that, that's critical. I mean, the whole purpose of ventilating the attic is twofold. One, it helps control temperature. Two, it controls humidity levels in the attic. So attic ventilation is, is really critical on, on making your house energy efficient and last longer. Because if you let the humidity levels get too high, that moisture gets into the insulation, the insulation becomes less effective, and it just snowballs and becomes this, this huge, big problem. So absolutely, ventilate, ventilate, ventilate. And there's no such thing as too much ventilation when it comes to your attic. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.